Nice to see you all here today. Those of you joining us online, thanks for being here. Those who don't know, I'm Pastor Wheezy, and uh, we're going to talk today about accountability. Debbie? Wheezy, you got um, toilet paper on your sheet. No, that can't be true. I'm one of the associate pastors for crying out loud. I can't have toilet paper on my shoe. On your shoe? No. Your other You're... shoe. This is kind of embarrassing. Could you help me with this? Sure. It... How did this happen, even? Oh, <laughs> oh no. You. Not when you take that. Thank you. You're a true friend. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's embarrassing, you know. Um, I didn't know I was the kind of person who could have toilet paper. Uh, but apparently God had something to show me. <clears throat> okay. Sometimes apparently we're rather blind to our own sins or so tangled in them that we can't get free of them on our own, apparently. <sighs> um in Galatians, Paul addresses that rather embarrassing problem. Galatians 6.1, he says, Brothers and sisters, even if a person is caught in any kind of wrongdoing, you who are spiritual are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. Each one of you looking to yourself so that you're not going to be tempted as well. That kind of has always confused me a little bit. I don't think Debbie was tempted to have toilet paper on her shoe. Uh, I'm not sure she's ever had that temptation. Um, but the temptation we might face when helping one another with, with sin is maybe to be tempted to self-righteousness or, you know, complacency or, wow, I'm not dragging that. So that's what Paul's talking about when he says, watch out. Well, anyway, <clears throat> glad that's over. The purpose of the church, what is the purpose of the church? Well, we all know, it's rather obvious, the purpose of the church is the formation of people who have Christ-like love. That's what it's all about. And here's what Jesus says about that in Matthew 22, 3 through 6. Uh, somebody is asking him, how do I do this church stuff? And Jesus says, teacher, which is the, the great commandment in the law? And Jesus answers him, he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And then he adds something. He says, the second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments hang the whole law and all the prophets. Everything you need to know. Love God, love people. And it's interesting the way Jesus phrases that. The second commandment is like the first. In other words, it's a way of saying the first commandment again in different words. It's not a different commandment. Loving our neighbor is loving God with our whole heart, mind, and soul, and spirit. It's the same thing. That's why we can't go off in the forest and worship God. I mean, you can go worship God in the forest, but you can't substitute that for going to church. 
God put churches together and synagogues before that so that people who don't know each other, strangers who don't fit together, are made to fit together and love each other. That's how we practice loving. And we're all kind of familiar with that, and we show up for church or we tune in online or whatever. We deal with people and we try to love them. But what we're talking about today is a wildly unpopular part of loving one another. It's the part that makes our little hearts go pit-a-pat. It's confronting sinful attitudes and behavior in each other. Now, this is familiar because two weeks ago, I opened up this can of worms, and last week, Aaron, Eric unpacked it further when he was talking about think like Jesus. You know, when you're going to confront somebody, is it true? Is it kind? Do you remember when he unpacked that? We're pounding the same nail here because it's really important. Live and let live is our modern American way of dealing with things, and that's fine for the rest of the world. That's our outside voice in a lot of ways. But here in the body of Christ, it doesn't fly. We can't just shrug it off when we see somebody trapped in a sin. Debbie is my dear, she's probably the first friend I made when I joined this church 20 years ago. And she loves me. She is not going to let me drag toilet paper around the church. <laughs> that ain't going to happen. But it takes courage to address issues with others. Because, you know, in our deep bones, we're kind of afraid of each other. You know, what if Debbie had known me for 20 years and she knows that my first response to somebody saying, hey, you got toilet paper on your shoe, is to slap them. It's going to take some courage for her to come up and love me that way. But I had toilet paper on my shoe, and she loves me. So she's going to find the courage somehow. And I love her, so I'm going to not slap. <laughs> right? Yeah, okay. Towards the end of the 19th and 20th century, churches became rather more interested in confronting sin in the society instead of confronting sin in themselves, in members of the congregation. They started doing things like trying to take the country back for Jesus, if you will. Uh, all well and good, but it's not good to substitute that for looking at our own logs, fixing our own selves, helping each other to walk with Jesus. A shepherd that won't fend off wolves, I'm a shepherd, if I don't fend wolves off, pretty soon the flock is going to get picked to pieces, right? Imagine a math teacher, if you will, who won't correct wrong answers. How are you going to learn math if every answer you give is okay? You know, the rocket's going to crash, it ain't going to make it to the moon, but, you know, we're okay, we, we like each other, Right? So why do, we, why do we have to confront this stuff in each other? Why do we have to come up with this courage? Because the Bible commands it. From beginning to end, it commands us to take care of each other in this way. Christ means for his churches to be trained and exercised and disciplined so that they can share in his holiness and bring his light into the world. So there's two kinds of rebuke, and rebuke is just saying, hey, you've got a thing. It's not 
shaming somebody or hitting them on top of the head with a Bible. It's just, you've got a thing. There's two kinds of rebuke that the Bible demands. The first and most important, probably, is when somebody sins against me. It's my duty. The other is when you see somebody going off the rails theologically, when they start believing things that aren't true about God. It's your duty to call that into question and to say that's not true. Back in the Old Testament, way back, the prophet Ezekiel, God was explaining to Ezekiel what it means to be a prophet. And the point of a prophet is not to predict the future, it's to speak God's words to the people. And here's what God says to Ezekiel. He says, Son of man, I have appointed you as a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, you will certainly die, and you do not warn them or speak out to warn the wicked from their wicked way so that they might live, that wicked person shall die for wrongdoing, but his blood I will require from your hand. However, if you have warned the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness and his wicked ways, then he shall die for his wrongdoing, but you will have saved yourself. You've done your duty. Again, when a righteous person turns away from righteousness and begins committing sins, and I place an obstacle before him and he dies, since you've not warned him, he'll die in his sin, and his righteous deeds which he did will not be remembered. But his blood I will require from your hand. So God holds us accountable in some ways for each other. He doesn't hold us accountable for each other's choices, but he holds us accountable to warn each other, to call each other back, to do our duty for each other and express love that way. And the New Testament continues this theme of, of we are being held accountable to warn each other. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. This is what the writer of Hebrews says about that. Let us consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds, not abandoning our meeting together, as is the habit of some people, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Now that word encouraging in the Greek, it's a very strong word. It, it has uh, meanings like to, to stir up or to spur one another on. And we're talking spurs here. Something that's really hard to ignore. To provoke one another. To disagree sharply with one another when that's necessary. And we need to be together in order to grow together in that way. Now think about people that you know in, in this church body and other church bodies, people that you could rely on to call you up short when you need it. To put a hand on your shoulder and say, I, I wonder if you might want to think again about that. I think maybe you owe so-and-so an apology about that remark. Do you have any friends in Christ who are that into your welfare that they would do that for you? Because that's a treasure. That's a real treasure. 
It's a sign of our love. We just got a, I just pulled out a whole series of, of scriptures that talk about how this kind of confronting each other is a sign of our love. We're going to start with Hebrews 12. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he punishes every son whom he accepts. And we go on to Ephesians. Therefore, ridding yourselves of falsehood, speak truth to each one with his neighbor, because we are parts of one another. We're in the same body. How about Proverbs? Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Solomon knew his stuff. And what about James? My brothers and sisters, if any one of you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that the one who has turned a sinner back from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. We need each other. Trying to catch ourselves in sin is kind of like trying to see the back of our own head. You know, we're so used to our stupid ways that it just feels so natural sometimes. But isn't that like super judgmental and un-American? Yeah. Well, it's not judgmental, it's discerning and loving. And yeah, it's totally un-American. You know, we are members of the kingdom of God first. Right? Okay. So, how do we go about doing this? Well, Eric unpacked this really well last week. You know, is it kind? Is it loving? Is it true? Is it necessary? Is it timely? I don't know if I got them all in the right order and stuff, but you remember how to think through, should I say this to them now in this way, thinking through it. So we're going we're gonna to continue to work on that. The first and most obvious thing about rebuking somebody is that it must be grounded in a loving relationship. Have you ever tried rebuking a stranger? <laughs> Sometimes if they're a really exceptional stranger, you can get away with it, but most of the time you're just going to get hand signals. <laughs> right? <laughs> and if it's not loving... And think again about the time you tried to rebuke a stranger. It probably wasn't terribly loving. Not only their response wasn't loving, but your motivation may not have been terribly loving. It could even be the worst kind of selfishness. You must change to meet my needs because I don't like what you did. Right? Maybe justified, but it ain't love. And how really can you rebuke somebody in a humble and loving way if you're not humble and loving. You know, if we go through the world with our chin out and our chest out, we're probably not going to succeed at conveying, I really care about you, and that's why I want you to think about this. But when people know that you love them, when they've had experience of your kindness, your faithfulness, your trustworthiness for a while, they're very much more likely to listen to what you have to say. I've known Debbie for 20 years. Even though I didn't believe her about the toilet paper, she was able to convince me pretty quickly because I trust her. I know she's on my side. I know she's got my back. That make sense? 
Okay. 1 Timothy, chapter 5. And Timothy's talking about how to address this. this I didn't give this one to you, Jamie. You're okay. Um, he's talking about don't scold an older man. You know, if you, if you need to discipline someone who's older than you, an older man in the church, you don't go up to him and scold him with a pointed finger. He says, but encourage him as you would if he were your father. Talk to younger men as they were brothers. To older women if they were your mother. And young ones if they were your sister. Have that attitude towards people when you need to rebuke them about something. And we have to be humble. After all, we are alike in being vulnerable together. If we ain't, it ain't going to fly. Here's what Jesus says, and this is a really familiar verse. And we're all nodding and saying, yeah, but here's what Jesus says in Matthew 7 about how to address each other. He says, in the way you judge, you will be judged. That's the mutual vulnerability. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. So you're going to get what you put out. And then he talks about it. Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but not notice the log in your own eye? So let's check in your own stuff first. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and look? The log is in your own eye. All right, this is real familiar stuff. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. Then you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, how does that all come down to how I'm going to uh, rebuke somebody? If I'm having an issue with Millie and I need to talk with her about something she said to me that really hurt my feelings, before I even think about what I want to say to Millie, I need to think about what I said to her already. What was my part in our thing that we're having? How might I have hurt her feelings and provoked that sharp response? I need to go through that first and fix that first. Does that make sense? Having done that, now when I go to Millie and said, you know, you, this hurt my feelings, I've already come at it from the point of view of I'm part of the problem. And we can work together and we're going to have a much more successful time getting back to good. In Galatians, Paul says this, Brothers and sisters, even if a person is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, we've already been through this, you who are spiritual are to restore such a person, not you might consider it, but you are to do it, restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. But watch yourself so that you're not tempted to self-righteousness and pontificating and all that stuff that doesn't help a bit. Okay? Bear one another's burdens, Paul says. Care about their heart, what they're going through. And that way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? Love one another. That's the law. That's the command. Okay? This is all real familiar stuff. I know I'm not telling you a thing you haven't known for years and years. So here's another way that, of the how that we go at this. We have to go at it with discretion and mutual accountability. 
You're accountable to me, I'm accountable to you. We have a duty to one another. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew 18. This is sort of like the, the code, if you will, the law for how to go about confronting somebody. Matthew 18, 15 to 17. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. It's private, and you're showing him what he did. You're not hedging around the bush. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. It's all good. Rainbows and unicorns. If he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you. So that every, every on the testimony, <laughs> excuse me, of two or three witnesses, every matter can be confirmed. Now that does not mean take two or three people with you who will back you up and force the issue. It's take two or three people with you who can listen to the conflict and say, you know, you might want to consider your part in this, or that's not what I saw when this happened. It's take two or three people with you who can help clarify the issue and help the two of you come to an agreement. Okay, it's not two or three goons who will help bully it to your way. <laughs> and if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the whole church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, then you consider him to be as a Gentile or a tax collector. That does not mean you scrape him off your shoe. How did Jesus treat the Gentiles and the tax collectors? Huh? He didn't think they knew God but he wanted them to. He tried to help them get there. Okay. So, we'll go through a few points. I should listen carefully and lovingly first. I should invite correction of my own sins. I should also address the poison. So I'm not going to just leave it sit. If you're sinning, I'm going to address it. Outsiders see church discipline as being very negative and legalistic and harsh. But insiders, people who know God and know God's way, see true discipline as a sign of love. It is always to be carried out in humility and love with the goal of restoring someone to a close walk with Christ and the goal of protecting others from coming to harm and the goal of showing respect for God's good name. When a church leader abuses someone, not only has someone else come to harm, as well as the church leader who had the original sin that never got rebuked, now someone else is being harmed, and then the news finds out about it, and now God's good name is being harmed. So it's really important that we catch that stuff in the nub. So, how should I respond when someone comes to me and says, Wheezy? You smell like a dead shark, you've got to go home and take a bath right now. <laughs> How am I supposed to respond to that? Huh? Well, the Bible talks a lot about don't be a fool. If we refuse to listen to a rebuke and honestly consider whether it's justified, then the Bible says we're being a fool, and the Bible has a lot to say about not being a fool. Proverbs talks about being foolish and, and wise a lot. Proverbs 12, anyone who loves discipline loves knowledge, but a person who hates a rebuke is stupid, okay? 
Psalm 14. Therefore they're in great need, for God is with a righteous generation. Let a righteous man strike me, it's a kindness. I, I think I messed up the slides for Jamie. Jamie, just relax, you're doing fine. If a righteous person strikes me, it's a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It's oil for my head. Don't let my head refuse it. And then we go on to Proverbs 9. Don't rebuke, don't rebuke a scoffer, for he'll hate you. But rebuke a wise person, and he'll love you. Or Proverbs 12. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a person who listens to advice is wise. So, AA has a lot to say about how to go about receiving correction. One thing, old habits are really strong. I'm, most of you have been celebrating with me over the fact that I've managed to lose 40 pounds. Yay! You know, and at first, that was fun and easy, and it just fell off. But I'm now getting to the point where it's coming off really slowly, and it's kind of boring and not fun, and I'm really, you know, wanting to get back to my old life when I just would eat everything I saw because it was there, and that's what I did. Those old habits are yanking at me hard. I need you to help me get through that and to stay true to what I've vowed to do. We need each other because walking with Jesus can be hard sometimes and we want to get back to our old way of selfishness and laziness and self-righteousness and contempt and blah, 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 blah. That stuff is really seductive. Anger especially can be a lot of fun. And we need each other to not go there. So what messes you up in your walk with Christ? Is it contempt or fear or apathy or pride or unwillingness to submit yourself to the needs of other people or accept decisions that you don't care for? My response to the problem is 99.999 million decimals part of the problem. My responsibility is to check my response to what I don't like. AA talks a lot about making ourselves vulnerable. And James talks about it too. James is really in this this morning. James chapter 5, verse 16, he says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. We need to be vulnerable to each other. The prayer of a righteous person when it is brought about can accomplish much. When you pray for me, it... it has traction. It gets there. We need to invite other people into my life to hold me accountable, and you need to give a few people specific permission to spur you on when you're not living a life that corns to bot, that honors God. Rented lips, as Robin William would say. So think about people that you can trust to say the hard word to you. If you don't know any, take a dare and ask somebody. But if you've got a few people that you know that they will say it when it's time to be said, talk to them about what it is you need them to say. 
what they need to watch for, what you're struggling with, so that they can really do what you need done. Once you've secured a partner, tell them the truth about your struggles and tell them how they can help you. And then you need to create an atmosphere with them where it's safe for them to say it. You know what I'm talking about. Okay. A vital part of honesty is a willingness to ask and answer hard questions. You can do this. All right, and then James brings up a special case because this is where we all fall down. You know, back in the old monkish days when people were living together in, in closed communities, a lot of them would take a vow of silence because it's really hard to speak without getting yourself in trouble. I mean, to pass the salt is one thing, but when we start talking to each other about our stuff, it's really hard to not get in trouble with it. So the tongue is a special case. And we've talked about this a couple of weeks ago. That's because the tongue speaks for the heart. And what's in the heart is the stuff that's in the heart. You know, it's the rats in the cellar. Or maybe it's the light of Christ. It depends on how your heart is doing. But James 1 talks about this. If anyone is a hearer of words, hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. Did you ever look at your watch, see what time it is, and before you put it down, you don't know what time it is? Okay, so that's what he's talking about here. As soon as he's looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who has looked intently into the perfect law, the law of freedom, and has continued in it, not having become forgetful hearer, but an active doer, that person will be blessed in what he does. Here's the, here's the kicker, though. He says, if anyone thinks himself to be religious, that is righteous, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, that person's religion is worthless. If we let junk come out of our mouths that hurts each other and shames God, our walk with Christ is, gets devalued, both for us and the people who see us walking. So this is important. That's why we keep pounding this nail these last couple of weeks, and we're going to continue to pound it for a while because we're trying to develop a new culture here in this church of really helping each other really walk with Jesus for real. And those of us who've been in church since we were, you know, in diapers, it's tempting to think we're doing that already, and we are, and we ain't there yet. We still need each other. We need each other to be real and honest and forthright and truthful in their love. So that's what we're up to. Father, you hold us accountable to grow in grace and Christ-likeness by faith in Christ and not by trusting in our own abilities. We need your spirit working within us and we need each other to spur us on in our growth. Give us a quiet and teachable spirit. Give us courage and wisdom and kindness to help each other grow. Father, because we are your beloved children, 
you are nurturing and raising us to full adulthood. You call us to love each other in your name so that the whole world may see the beauty of your goodness and power. Help us grow. Amen.